0: and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, beautiful people. Although we're only several weeks in and still an itty-bitty podcast, uh, the support you've shown by tuning in, engaging with us, spreading the word has been overwhelming to say the least. With your help, we have managed to build up this very vocal and very sexy little community, uh, which is why Bridie and I here at Termion are looking for your help. If you dig what we're doing and you have 30 seconds of free time today, it would mean the absolute world to us. If you would fill out an anonymous survey, the survey helps us get to know all of you a little bit better and also uh, brings us one step closer to finding advertisers for the show. So head on over to survey.libsyn.com slash turnmeon. It literally takes no time at all. Four or five questions max. And again, just 30 seconds of your day could help Bridie and I take this sweet little married project of ours and bring it to the next level. So, again, that's survey.libsyn.com slash turn me on. Um, there's no www.there, just survey.libsyn.com slash turn me on. Thank you all so much and on with the show.
1: Hmm. Hello, baby Hello, my love
0: Ready to talk about some sex?
1: Well, you always say that And then sometimes we talk about sex And sometimes we talk about getting your butthole waxed
0: <laughs> Yeah A uh, little update on the butthole wax yes, uh, please? sitch
1: Yes, please
0: um, I, I have found someone who knows someone who does it And she said that she would be elated to uh, Tear the hair out of my butthole And, uh, and we're waiting on confirmation on whether or not she will allow me to record it and what the price will be. (laughs) I mean, I don't really care what the price is. I'll do it. If it's a hundred bucks, I'll do it. Like, I don't even, what's, what's a, how much is it to get your hoo-ha and and butthole wax? 50,
1: 60 bucks.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll drop that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so it's, it's, it's going to happen.
1: That's great. I I, I guess I need to be there.
0: Uh, You should
1: inquire about having another person in the room
0: Oh, well, if she's going to let me record, she probably won't care if you're there
1: Well, someone has to hold the microphone
0: Well, no, I have, there's a, whatever Yeah, someone has to hold it sure, sure (laughs) Uh, So, butthole waxing is going to happen But I guess we aren't really going to talk about sex before we throw it to today's episode Uh, Really But we are going to talk about something that I'm kind of excited to talk about
1: What's that?
0: A couple of episodes back, Bride We talked about Me and you, Becca and Guy, Mm -hmm. going on a trip to Cape Breton, a camping trip together. That's right, that's right. Now, we didn't go on a camping trip, but we did, for the very first time, go on a double date with our other significant others. Yeah.
1: I was really glad we made that happen. I was really, I've been, you know, I'm a big daydreamer. I like to think way ahead of, like, what's possible and what could we do? And anything daydreaming is one of my favorite pastimes. And so I've thought a lot about doing things together, not just this camping trip in Cape Breton, but like, well,
0: Hey, we've talked about, I mean, can we say this? We talked about, we've thrown around the idea of Becca moving in.
1: uh Um,
0: (laughs) and like, it started as a joke, but our missing
1: roommates bedroom. Yeah, We have a roommate who's Missing,
0: yeah, Brent. We miss you, and uh, we hope you're okay.
1: And we hope you're listening, yeah,
0: and we hope you're a fan. But we've thrown around the idea of Becca moving in, and and it's kind of sort of turned into a semi-serious thing that's talked about. I mean, she talks about it.
1: She uses the word family a lot in reference to all of us, know, and it really nuts. weirds me out a little bit. It you know really she, weirds Guy out a oh, lot. Oh,
0: I bet. I actually would. I, I like weirding Guy out a bit with this <laughs> stuff. Uh, you know what else I feel like rubs you the wrong way, which I'm guessing, is the the term sister wife.
1: Oh, my fucking God. And
0: she loves using that one, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. And I'm, I'm like,
0: oh, Bridie hates that. Uh, <laughs> she left s- you a note on your bed. She uh, left you some uh, marijuana. You
1: asked us to pose in a in some sick boy t-shirts for, I assume, some sort of social media thing. Oh, no.
0: I just sent it to the boys to show them that the shirts came in and this is how they fit.
1: And she said it then at that point, too. And I oh, was God. like, getting my photograph taken is already awkward enough.
0: But do you think that it's, it's like... Um, uh, exposure therapy where it's like you hear it enough and you go, yeah, whatever. This is, it's, it's, it's tongue in cheek. It's, it, you know, it's fun.
1: I'll let you know as soon as it stops making my skin crawl.
0: <laughs> hear that Becca? She, she, she's listening right now <laughs> yeah. and she's going, oh fuck.
1: Um, all right. Well, anyway, so we that went double, a double
0: date. date. And you're the one who brought it up. Yep. It, it, there was no really any planning. It was like, Hey, we're going to a play this evening. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go? Yeah. Uh, Is that play still running?
1: play is still running Chasing Champions running till the 30th of April
0: here in Halifax in at Halifax. Neptune Theatre holy sweet Christ. it's outstanding go see that play yeah
1: it's about a boxer it's about racism and, and this and this boxer from Nova Scotia who did amazing things and what's and and why that is the perfect double date for us is because mm-hmm. Jeremy and I are actors yes um
0: we share a deep 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 passion yes. for acting
1: <laughs> and um and Guy is and has been a boxer. And but not really a theater goer as far as I know. And but was really keen to go to the theater with me, but I wanted to see this play with you babe because your cousin is the writer and star mm-hmm. of it and then Becca is Becca uh, does some nursing. <laughs> Yeah, and I think nurses were mentioned once yeah, or twice. Again.
0: Yeah, I, there must have been. Nursing home? Yeah, that's right. There was a nursing home in the play, <laughs> which was so perfect for that.
1: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, and it all worked out. And uh, I think it was really nice. I mean, the first thing I noticed, the first thing I noticed was sitting at the table with our drinks. Um, I was sitting across from Guy, you were sitting across from Becca, you and I were still sitting next to each other. But we were not sitting next to our other people.
0: Oh yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Well, then what I noticed, and I thought this was very interesting, is we go into the theater, and in the the uh, order in which we enter the theater and walk to our chairs, you know, it's like the road chairs like you'd see in a in a movie theater.
1: I thought of this beforehand, by
0: the way. I didn't. It didn't even fucking cross my mind. Gee enters in first. Mm-hmm. Bridey enters in second. Mm-hmm. Becca was then next to enter, but she paused and let me go ahead. Which I was like, "Why don't you just go?" Because ah, I see. If I go in, then I'm sitting with Bridie.
1: That's but not Bridie's what I was also say.
0: sitting with Guy. and Becca's also sitting with me. So we all get what we're there for.
1: I mean, it's the classic M F M F staggering that's happened for yeah. eons. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's eons. What were you going to say that you thought I was going to say?
1: Why she paused? Yeah. Because you're her daddy.
0: Oh, fuck. You can't drop that on the podcast.
1: I know. You motherfucker. <laughs> I just waited. I just wanted to wait, just in case you need to edit that oh, out. Oh, for
0: fuck's sakes. Okay, well, sure. Maybe we'll get into that someday. <laughs> Beck and I are, are exploring a DDLG relationship, whatever. That's neither here nor there. God damn it, Bridie. <laughs> fuck. I don't know how she feels about that. Well, I'm going to have to run that by her before we release this. Anyway, so she let daddy in first, uh, as she does, as, as the baby girl does. And uh, hey, you brought this on yourself, Brady. Uh, and so I was able to sit next to uh, my wife and my baby girl. And, uh, um, and it was really nice because I don't know about you, but, um, you know, I went through this thing where I didn't want to hold Becca's hand. Which, if you weren't there, I definitely would have been.
1: I had the exact same thing. But I
0: also didn't want to hold your hand.
1: I had the exact same. Because I didn't want to
0: feel like alienating either Becca nor Guy. <sighs> um, and I don't I don't think you were holding Guy's hand. But I, if you did, I don't think I would have been, like, miffed. You know, I probably would have just been like, oh, okay, well then I'll hold Becca's hand and Mm -hmm. your hand and be like, ha ha, gee, I win. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Or do I win? (laughs) Or do you win? That's right. That's right. Uh, We both win. Um, And so, but, you know, Becca would like rub her knee against mine. And I was like, well, this is nice. I can like, I don't think that that's very disrespectful. I think that that's, that's, it's nice. And then you leaned over and, and whispered, I love you into my ear. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is like, and there was nothing weird about it. Like, even when we were having drinks beforehand or um, having drinks in-, in between the show, or afterwards when Becca and I drove you and Guy to the liquor store and then back to Guy's house. Like, it was a very nice night. Yeah. It was a really lovely date. And what was super fucking cool was quality time between you and I is something that is um, is, is very much cherished. Like yeah. we have to, Bridie and I have to make a, a very, uh, uh concerned effort. Is that the is concentrated,
1: that the concentrated
0: effort, effort? Uh, uh, um, uh, A um, constipated effort to, <laughs> to have, um, uh, I guess it is kind of a constipated effort to have quality time together.
1: Oh, God. And I
0: felt like we got that that night, mm-hmm. but I also felt like I got quality time with Becca that night, which yeah.
1: That's really neat. It is really neat, and it's and it's all you know, kind of plays into what I was talking about before. How I'm a big daydreamer about the future because I think I've mentioned other more like out there ideas of us doing things together, like maybe driving to Mexico or things. That's a lot bigger things. Um,
0: yeah, like uh, e- like having one child. Well, like when you April
1: fools me that Becca was pregnant, I was like, (laughs) We're all gonna raise a baby. Yeah, that's right. Um, that was a whole other joke. We didn't even say that on the podcast. That's a terrible (laughs) April Fool's joke. April Fool's
0: joke is I woke up and I was like, And Becca, no, this is how it worked. Wait, I I don't care. Let's do it. I I woke up and it's April 1st, and I don't even like, I don't even partake in April Fool's. I forget every year. And Becca rolls over and she goes, I want a baby. And I was like, Oh, shit. Because in my mind, I'm going, well, I'm sorry, girl, but I ain't your guy. Like, (laughs) I can't help you there. Literally, I cannot Mm -hmm. provide that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's physically impossible for me unless doctors get involved. And I'm not, I don't want a kid. Obviously, she comes out pretty quickly, like, ah, just getting April Fool's. And I was like, holy fuck, you had me. And then I go, I'm going to tell Bridie that you're pregnant. And so we did, and I was like, haha. And I thought for sure Brad was going to go, haha, April Fools, fuck you. But you were like, oh my God. What so you now? texted
1: me. Yeah, te- yeah like- I was with Guy. <laughs> you texted me. It was first thing in the morning. I was like, oh my God. And he goes, what? He was just going into the bath. What? I'm like, Becca's pregnant. And he was like, Oh shit. I was like, okay, I just have to deal with this. He's like, fine, I'll go to the tub. He went to the tub. I was texting with you. I was like, it's gonna, this is gonna be fine. Babe, we can deal with this. You were like, obviously, it's not mine. I was like, okay. And then I was like, all of you know, my daydreaming brain was just like playing all these scenarios out in my head. And you said she wanted to keep it, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> I just okay. kept it
0: going. And Becca was like, you got to tell her it's a joke. And I was like, no, this is great.
1: Yeah, we've got her hooked. And then just as he was coming out of the tub, I was like. You had said, what, what the fuck did you say that made me realize was April? Ab- oh, you told me you kicked her down the stairs and then checked for a heartbeat and there was none.
0: You kicked oh, her down the
1: stairs and yelled, not today. <laughs> That's not
0: just not going to go over well.
1: And then, and then there was no heartbeat, and I was like, "Okay, it's a fucking joke. It's a fucking April Fool's joke." And he was like, "I was in the tub thinking about my life was going to be changed by someone I don't even know," and I was like, "And I,
0: you broke down.
1: I had a fucking meltdown after that. Sorry, babe. Yeah, I was really. I had. I went through a wide range of emotions in a short period of time, and because of how I am and who I am, I was." like on on damage control like you, you this melted, is gonna be fine from
0: what i understand you melted down because yeah because you were like we're gonna figure this out
1: yeah and then and but then part There's of something me was super really excited beautiful that. really happy yeah. and like all uh, of it. anyway so all these possibilities went through my head but um but yeah well
0: regardless it's not happening. It's
1: not happening, but that's anyway, but we did go on a double date. we did date. go on a double date. <laughs> We're not raising a baby together.
0: Um, well, uh, before we, we m- mosey on over to uh, today's episode.
1: I should tell you that I told my big sister about that April Fool's joke, and her response was, that's not really that funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, ah,
0: well, it is to us.
1: <laughs> um, okay.
0: Um uh, I'm glad you were able to laugh about that and and also like you get you see it right like that's fuck that is fucking funny
1: uh yeah oh come
0: on Brian i that's mean funny. i I
1: get where you're coming from, but there's still
0: and I do feel bad that you got upset.
1: Yeah, I like, cr- I yeah. sobbed. That was the first time I ever cried in front oh, of God, Key. I man. sobbed my face off. If
0: people don't already hate me. He they're, was like, they're "Really going to hate me?" Did now. I just
1: watch you drop your basket? <sighs> I'm like, "Yeah, a little bit. I just totally dropped my basket a little bit." Listeners,
0: I-, I am a great guy. Um, I, I like to yeah, think so. Are. My mom loves me. Yeah, uh, you- well, that's all that really matters. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, so before we throw it to our guest today, our, our conversation, uh, we got some. We got some. We got a brain boner. Uh, it's not a brain boner because it's not a question. It was some fan mail. But it's legitimate fan mail.
1: Mm -hmm. Someone
0: mailed us. Some snail fan mail.
1: Should we talk about what she said to us before?
0: Okay, sure. So Carly is a listener of ours, um, uh, and she was turned on to us through Sick Boy. Uh, It's another podcast that I host. (laughs) No big deal. Um, And she reached out to us to give us some feedback. We're always open to feedback, and we, we encourage any and all of our listeners to send it our way. And so uh, here is, is a little bit of what Carly had to say.
1: Yeah, so she, she said lots of really nice things about um, listening to our podcast and uh, how we, we seem to avoid many of the common pitfalls just by being curious and straight up about what we know and we don't know. But she did have a quibble, and that was her word. Um, it's a way that we use male and female. So here's what she said. There are men, there are women, some of those folks have the bodies and genitals that you would expect for those identities, and some don't. There are also people who are both, or neither, or something between, or something totally outside that system. If you're talking about a gender perspective, like what do women think about MMF threesomes, then the term woman makes sense to use. If you're talking about bodies most specifically, then use the body words. People with dicks, people with cunts, people with boobs. Your queer, trans, and non-binary listeners will be able to more easily include themselves in the conversations you're having.
0: Totally makes sense, yeah. right? Not everybody with a dick is a male. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Anyways, you'll find your own ways to use language, and it's super complicated and challenging all the time. Uh, but I want to let you know that I've been listening and enjoying and also th- Thinking lots about gendered language use. She's a queer sex ed- educator, so this stuff rolls around in her brain all the time. And I, and also, she included a picture of her bum uh, for us to use on Sunday Monday. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say thanks, Carly, personally, for that uh, feedback. I know I wrote to you and we talked. I said this already, but that is the way that I learned a lot from that little message, and also. N- uh, learned how simple it can be to um, to in, in, be more inclusive.
0: Yeah, and then it didn't stop there. Nope. Carly stepped it up and sent us something else mm-hmm. in the mail. It
1: wasn't an anthrax.
0: It was not anthrax, which I told her please do not send. Mm-hmm. But it was this lovely little card, and the front of it says, "I'm putting you on my to do list." I thought that was cute. Love it. Um, and then you, I open it up, and it's uh it's it's handwritten and sweet love of fuck Carly. Can you try to write a li- <laughs> I have a hard time Are you time- a doctor? Yeah, I have a hard time reading um uh like perfectly typed emails in <laughs> like in Times New Roman. Double space. Uh, yeah, double space with like extra large letters. <laughs> I there's no fucking way I can read this this letter that you sent us, but luckily uh Bridie does not have that issue.
1: Well, we'll try. I mean, I will try. I did misread a couple of letters, but I'm only going to read a little section of it because um Carly sent us a, a really gift. a lovely gift, and we're gonna share it with you. Um so uh so this is what her note says i do suicide intervention training for folks to support their peers massive risk of suicide among trans youth in particular and i have also worked with organizations on sexual health and sex sex education projects this little deck of cards came from a project at planned parenthood toronto from 2014 when 14 queer and trans youth geniuses were tasked with coming up with a sexual health resource for their peers. They decided that what a lot of people needed is supportive communities, but we can't just give people good parents and nice friends. So we wrote these affirmations and have been getting them into the hands of baby queers ever since.
0: Um, And uh, so in honor of Planned Parenthood, Toronto and Carly and those, uh, Lovely people who created these these cards we're gonna read uh, one each. right okay. go ahead
1: All bodies are good bodies. My body is a good body.
0: figuring out who you are is not a race to the finish line. I like that one.
1: you picked that one out see you just didn't I
0: picked it from the top. Okay. Listen, I picked it from the top. Okay, right? I
1: had a different I had other favorites that I would have liked to have shared that I'm going to affirm to myself. Oh yeah,
0: was it uh doing things just for you is a great reason just to do things.
1: Well, no, but obviously I subscribe to that. Oh, I do like this one. I deserve people who will support me with love and patience when I'm making difficult decisions. Yeah, hell yeah.
0: I like this one. <laughs> It's okay that you started that fight at a family gathering. <laughs> Relationships—the
1: first one that you read, and I loved it.
0: Story of my life. Um,
1: <laughs> it really fuck. is. Your brother-in-law and I totally lock eyes whenever you're starting yeah. shit at family family uh, functions. Okay,
0: neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, uh, one more announcement: we We're doing are a live doing show. a live show, yo. Halifax, Nova Scotia, if you're, a li- if you're a fan here in the city, we'd love to see your beautiful face. Uh, we haven't announced all the details yet. Tickets are not on sale yet. However, they are going to be going on sale real GD soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bus Stop Theater, May 17th. It's a Wednesday. It's a hump day. It's the same day we release episodes. It's hump day. We've got a, a, an amazing guest locked in. Uh, it's going to be a night of drinks, a night of uh, laughs, a night of uh, education. And uh, we'd love to see your beautiful faces there. So if you are not already following us on Facebook or Instagram, do that right now. Uh, that is where we are going to be announcing the the tickets when they go on sale. And uh, there
1: are limited tickets. So. Limited
0: tickets, and they're going to go fast. They're going to go real fast. Uh, if this is anything like our Sick Boy live shows, uh, they sell out um, within within minutes, so mm-hmm. uh, so don't dilly dally. Um, and we don't love to be see a silly Sally. Yeah, definitely. Well, sometimes being a silly Sally <laughs> is uh, okay. All right, <laughs> all right. right of let's that. let's get this let's push to this it forward. Episode. This episode is one of the first conversations we recorded for the show. Mm -hmm. It is the first and only to date conversation that we recorded in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bridie joined me, Brian and Taylor as we went on a sick boy trip, but we were able to lock in the absolutely, uh, Ever so wonderful, James Cantor. I know you hate when I do that, but I fucking love this man.
1: No, 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 no. I just had a thought. I'm not laughing at what you're saying. Finish what you're saying.
0: I love James Cantor. I love everything that he does. He's a he's a uh, past sick boy guest. Um, he's a sexual psychologist, and my God, the guy can talk. Um, and I hope you you fucking love this episode because it's there's some fascinating stuff about uh, paraphilias and and the like.
1: Can I just make a little uh statement about this episode? It happened moments after I left, maybe an hour that I left that first nude photo shoot that we were talking about that we released the other That's right. the other day, yeah, and uh that was weird I am wide open in this in this conversation I'm like all of I'm in this conversation with a therapist I was trying to listen to it today to like get a sense of what we are talking about and like name the episode and all that kind of stuff and I was like Bridie you are you're just like in your own little private therapy session right and here.
0: I am so closed off yeah. in this conversation because my friend died that morning yeah what a fucking weird day yeah yeah so take um, take
1: that um, <laughs> and put it in your pipe and smoke it while you are listening to this interview. Yeah, motherfuckers.
0: Uh, <laughs> all right, without further ado, uh, the lovely James Cantor.
2: How I broke into the you know, gay social scene, you know, other than the bar scene in Toronto when, uh, when Neil and I first moved here. Uh, and at the end of the summer, it turns out the parents of, uh, of one of the members owns a uh, kid's uh, 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 cottage sleepaway camp outside of the city. So at the end of the summer, after the last batch of kids goes... We take it over. Oh, um, yeah. So there were 300 homos in the kids' cabins <laughs> on the lake. It, it just, oh, the water sports. The, again, the kayaking, the hiking, it is an absolute... Boob
0: okay, boob. Hey, you're, you're talking about those water sports, not, uh, not I, the... I'm not sure the, all
2: of the above <laughs> happens. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with, uh, with any of it.
0: Um, James, uh, this is not the first time that we've sat down to have a conversation on, on some microphones. Uh, but it is the first time that variety uh, has been been in your your lovely presence. Um, you were actually on uh, Sick Boy, uh, yes, the other right. podcast that we that we work on, um, and we spoke to you about the science behind pedophilia. Yep. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners what your what your job title is? What what you do for a living?
2: Uh, I'm a clinical psychologist and sexual behavior scientist. Uh, my titles are. A Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, and I'm a Senior Scientist at the Center for Addiction and, uh, and Mental Health here in Toronto.
0: Okay. And you you have, uh, you have specialize in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you specialize in paraphilias, or you have a, a history in, in working with paraphilias?
2: Uh, over the course of my career, I've been pretty lucky. I got to study really most of the atypical sexualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I had to, you know describe a particular question that I've been after. It's been, what makes anybody into whatever it is that they're into? Uh, When we think of uh, sexuality being just regular, everyday heterosexuality, you know, it's a matter of how are human species different from other animal species, which is a very interesting scientific question. To me... Uh, and I think part of this is just growing up gay and growing up different from the people around me. Mm-hmm. I just have this natural question: What makes me different from the people around me what you know what is it was I born with this did it was it something my parents raised me with you know it was my natural question uh, and as i got uh, uh grew older and became a scientist and studying this, that was still the natural question for uh for me but instead of asking what made me different, there were already scientists working on that question. I still have the broader question: What makes anybody into whatever it is that they're into? Mm. Now, growing up a gay kid, you know, has its difficulties, and uh, has its difficulties. And as Dan Savage very smartly put, uh, puts it, it gets better. Mm. Uh, and I was very lucky; it got a lot better. Mm. But that's not always true for other people with still more out there kinds of sexualities. Uh, Gay men and lesbians are, in very many senses of the word, lucky. We can express our sexualities, fall in love, have relationships, have children, and uh, lead happy, healthy lives. Mm -hmm. But if somebody is into something really unusual that they can't express, either because it's physically impossible, whatever it is their imagination is telling them is hot, uh, or if the thing that they're into... Poses, you know, some risk of harm to somebody else. They can't, you know, engage in that either. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I'm lucky. But what are these people supposed to do? And they're completely abandoned. Uh, and as I say, again, I'm lucky because the stigma of uh, homosexuality, being gay, lesbian, or whatever, is uh, is much, much less now than before. Mm-hmm. It's still not great, but relative to when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, this is a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. But if somebody discovers that they're into cross-dressing, we're mm-hmm. only just starting to talk about that now. If somebody says that they're into, again, one of the things that I've done a lot of research in, as you said, pedophilia, What are these people supposed to do? They can't tell a soul. Mm. And in many many circumstances, they can't even tell a therapist for fear of getting reported. So these people are kind of left truly, truly abandoned. So to me, the scientific question really is how does the brain know what to be attracted to And that's, you know, I've been able to study this in pedophilia because it's such an important social question, but the same question is true for all of the other atypical sexualities. Mm. For our list, sorry, go ahead, Braddy.
1: Well, um, I was just going to say, is homosexuality considered atypical? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance
2: plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com Uh Yes and no. Different people, all legitimate experts, use those words in slightly different ways in slightly different contexts. Uh, and, of course, there are also people who purposefully misuse some of the words in some contexts, so we need to be very careful uh, about it. Just about everybody would say that um, homosexual accounts as atypical, purely statistically, no judgment implied, it's just rare. Uh, there is, ha- there are, however, medical terms for what technically counts in the psychiatric manual as a diagnosis. Right. That's where homosexuality used to count, and then was very famously re- uh, removed in 1973. So officially, it does not count as a uh, as a mental illness. But one could still say very legitimately that it's atypical
1: because mm-hmm. it's, no. uh, it's
2: a minority. It's a minority. It's a you. The ten percent statistic was a myth. The real numbers are closer to two to three percent.
1: Oh wow! Okay.
0: For our listeners that might not know, um, you know, you've you've I, I said the word paraphilia earlier, mm-hmm. um, and you've you've been talking about uh, atypical sexual preferences. Uh, what what is a, a paraphilia by by definition?
2: The formal definition of a paraphilia is one of these highly, highly atypical sexual interests, which is so strong, it's really stronger than a person's interest in regular, everyday kind, uh, kinds of sex. For example, uh, there are uh, if there was a man with, a, with an interest in feet, fine, have a good time, he enjoys giving foot rubs, his partners enjoy getting them, have a wonderful time. Then there are other people for whom the foot is the actual object, they don't care about the other person, and they're overwhelmed by their feeling for the feet. It's as if their sexual orientation is for the feet Mm -hmm. themselves, Mm. and that overwhelms everything else. So more than just, I like feet or I like legs, it has a much more extreme, driven, it conquers out the other, it overwhelms the other kind of interests. That's what we would call a paraphilia. Mm. Now, whether it officially uh, counts as a diagnosis in the manual is a tricky question. But usually, uh, we would reserve the formal term "a paraphilic disorder." Then we'd, uh, we would call it if it's causing harm to the person who has it, if it's causing distress to the person who has it, or it poses a substantial risk of harm to somebody else. Then we would uh, give it the formal uh, diagnosis of a disorder. Okay. But where a lot of people get lost on that, and including the majority of psychiatrists, I found this uh, uh, the arguments over what belongs in the official manual versus not. I've always found that a very unsophisticated set of arguments. Uh, I keep running into people who have a legitimate argument, but they ignore all of the other angles of the same thing that's going on. For example, uh, whether something is in the manual has no magic to it. There's no uh, – the people who f- write the manual, it's a committee. It's actually a committee of committees, and they have the various uh, kinds of compromises they need to make, and committee structures being what they are, legal issues, scientific issues, uh, financial issues, and so on, conflicts of interest, and more. Now, if somebody uh, – if something is listed in the manual, it now officially counts as a mental illness, and so an insurance company now would have to pay the psychiatrist or whoever for treating it. So if one is working for an insurance company, you kind of want there to be less in the manual because there's a financial motive for it. Mm. On the flip side, if somebody is a psychologist or psychiatrist and only gets paid if something is in the manual, then somebody wants more things in the manual. If you are a pharmaceutical industry and you need there to be more research, you want more things in the manual. The politics work both ways. If somebody uh, uh, if somebody is concerned with the stigma of mental illness and whatever it is that they have, of course the famous example is still homosexuality, we want – or the activists of that day wanted not to be in the manual because they wanted not to be associated with a stigma. Mm. So when somebody says, is it a mental illness, well – Whether something officially counts as a mental illness is a combination, and as I say, compromise, between these competing interests, each of which have a legitimate stake in the answer. But the ultimate answer, it's in the manual or it's not not in the manual, that has nothing to do with science. The science is what the science is. It doesn't matter if both things in the sky look like dots. One is a planet and one is a star, and it doesn't matter that they happen to look the same to you. Mm. It matters if they're the same in science. So it's really to a scientist if we now, for example, take brain scans of these people, do we find something in common amongst Mm. all the people whom we would call mentally ill or have a particular kind of diagnosis? Now we have some specific marker or piece of evidence that tells us this counts as a paraphilia, that does not. But whether it officially gets the diagnosis or not, really depends on what we mean by a diagnosis in a particular context. Mm-hmm. For homosexuality, oddly things have come full circle. Again, in the 70s and under the stigma where I was just a child, I, I didn't even realize I was gay yet, uh, the desire to be pulled out of the DSM was part of the desire not to be counted as, uh, as mentally ill and to, get out of, uh, and to disassociate the stigma. That makes perfect sense. Now, here we are... 40 years later, now we have kids having trouble coming out, and what do we want for them? We want them to be able to go to a therapist to work on coming out. But homosexuality is not in the manual, mm. so nobody can charge for it. So mm. we don't have insurance companies covering the coming out process. Right. <sighs> Nobody's arguing, of course, to put homosexuality back in, but now do we start saying, okay, homosexual <laughs> adjustment? Do we call it coming out difficulties? Mm. To which an activist would very naturally say, well, of course the kid is having trouble coming out. Look at the society he has to come out to. But if the goal is to be able to enable the mental health support that the guy needs or gal needs... Right, but the stigma of mental illness keeps getting in the way of what we want in the manual. Mm. So, although I very, very much appreciate the reasons why homosexuality was taken out and many other sex- uh, sexual minorities want to be taken out, including uh, gender dysphoria, now is, of course, the, uh, the current one, this is a kind of a complicated situation. If it's not, how are we going to make sure that people are getting the health care that they need? without really interfering or getting subject to the stigma that being in the manual is. Mm. So even though people are fighting over getting out of the manual, to me that's a bit backwards. If we took the stigma out of mental illness, nobody would care what was in the manual.
1: Yeah. I feel like everyone should have access to to uh, therapy. I think anybody who feels they need any sort of help with their mental process should be entitled to that, whether it's coming out or dealing with the death of a loved one or something. That all is, that's a mental health difficulty.
2: And society is better when people get that support. When people are most productive, people are happiest, society works better when the people in it receive the appropriate supports.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm. From my experience in, in therapy, it's like I walk out feeling like I belong in humanity, like I'm not alone, I'm not uh, different than the people moving around me, and it just enables me to move around the world in a much, a much more peaceful and compassionate way. So, of course, I would want that for anybody mm-hmm. who, who needed it.
0: I'm, I'm curious to know what drove you to um, to get into this line of work.
2: Looking back on it, it I don't re- didn't really have a plan exactly. I had a se- came to a series of crossroads like anybody else does. And I made my best guess for which one I think would make me happiest for each one, and then I ended up where I am. So I think it was a combination of a lot of bloody hard work, uh, a lot of luck, and just running into different people at different uh, at different times, and this is where I ended up. Uh, I don't think there's anything particularly special about this one. I think, again, like anybody just keeping an open mind, I think there's more than one way to have a happy, interesting career. Uh, I just got really, really lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started actually in computer science. Uh, I was a uh, math kind of a nerd. I went to a very technical school. I went. I'm minored in math and physics, and my major concentration was, uh, was in computers. That's where I started. Uh, so even though I enjoyed it, and I still really very much enjoy that kind of uh, uh, thinking about uh, uh, coding, isn't it? But thinking about puzzles, and to me math and computers were all about uh, puzzles... Uh, but by the time I was getting through college uh, uh, and university, the other students around me were much, much more dedicated to the work of it than I was. Uh, They were better nerds than I was. I was more interested, or I was coming to be more interested in... I was president of the RPI Players, the theater group in my uh, in my group. I, I was a natural extrovert, and part of coming out was just finally being able to, you know, have a larger social network that I had kind of been suppressing in myself uh, before that. Uh, and as time went on, I just became a uh, resident uh, uh, associate, one of the, the uh, senior classmen who lives in the dorm with the junior classmen, just kind of peer counseling and mm-hmm. helping, you know, keep a lid on uh, on things. And by the time I, was, uh, I graduated, I realized that I was enjoying those kinds of counseling experiences more than I was actually enjoying the computer science kinds of things, which they were much more better suited to by personality than, uh, than I was. So I said, oh, maybe I can make a career in that end. So then I had to you know start thinking about how do I get into psychology school, even though I have no background in psychology, everything I did was, was in computers. As I say, luck. I ran into a professor, uh, Irv Binnick. Uh, he's uh, only just getting ready for, uh, to retire now. He's at McGill. Uh, he uh, is a uh, sex therapist and sex researcher, and he wanted to see if he could get a computer to be programmed to do sex therapy using what was called an expert system in those days. Whoa. Exactly. Now, the number of people with an interest uh, you know, pursuing you know, sex and sex therapy and with a background in computers... Right. That took out the competition. Yeah. Not because I was better at any one of those things than anybody else. I just happened to have had the rare combination of yeah. the two. And that's what got me started in that, just basic sex therapy. Uh and then when I graduated uh, when I, uh, graduated from there and was getting ready to do my uh, my postdoc, one of the only internships where they did any kind of sex or couples-related uh, training was at uh, at CAMH in, uh, in Toronto. Mm. They were working mostly with sex offenders. I had never worked with, never thought about, really just kind of dismissed the idea that this was even part of sex therapy, except that it was the only place around, so here I was. It was a good training with many top scientists in it. And then once I got there and I started looking at the kind of uh, uh, research they were planning on, they wanted to do brain research. Oh, interesting. Again, by sheer coincidence, in that time when I needed to retrain a little bit in order to get into psychology school, uh, I worked as a a research assistant giving neuropsychological testing, IQ testing, memory tests, standard uh, standard kinds of testing. So now I had I was in a place where they needed somebody to help them do research on neuropsychology but with the pedophiles. And again, here I am by sheer coincidence, I happened to have had a background and I was able to do this neuropsych testing.
1: Okay.
2: And so that then led to the next grant where oh, wouldn't it be interesting if we had some MRIs? Well, the next person over, we didn't there were no scan no uh, MRIs at KMH at that time. I actually took the the famous set of MRIs at another hospital. And same thing. It was just by fluke that I was able to work with and pull a team together. This one is an expert on pedophilia. This one is an expert on uh, uh, on brain anatomy. And I was second best at each of those things so I could you know, work in between and mm. coordinate the entire team. Now, I didn't plan any of this. It was just what was around me, what tools were needed. And I just happened to have had a couple of the things that... Oh, in this environment, that's exactly what they need. Mm-hmm. So it was really just finding the right match and being mm-hmm. in the right place at the right time and exploiting it to our you know, mutual success. So I, I, I have no plan that I can share with anybody else to do except be <laughs> as diverse as you can. And again, now from halfway through my career and looking backwards, uh, many of the people I found who have done very interesting novel things, it was a similar story mm-hmm. that cross-pollinated. Yeah. You know, they didn't start you know from undergraduate knowing they wanted to do this kind of therapy and study this kind of thing and go single mindedly into it. It was much more of a mess, mm-hmm. so they took something that was meant for over on one side and applied it, you know, in some place or context where nobody else had put it before. Yeah. So to me, it's that that real old fashioned Renaissance education. Even though it wasn't my intent, that's really what ended up working.
1: That's so affirming for me because I I used to have a lot of anxiety about all the many directions I've started heading in and like pulled back from, but the message I'm getting from you is like follow your curiosity and see how those things knit together to give you a, your own unique voice and and offering for the world and that's what i was just chatting with a girlfriend last night about acting it's like well you know what yeah maybe you take a couple of years off and you pursue this other thing that really cu- is really curious mm-hmm. and then and then you and then you come back to you and you go Oh, I've got these two things, and nobody else has these two things. And what does that look like in the world? That's really, I like that message mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh,
2: I, is my, I think it's even truer in art than it is in, uh, yeah, in science. Big time. Because art things and science. translate so freely. Oh,
1: yeah. The artist scientist is my new my archetype that I'm exploring in my, my, oh, my Da
2: Vinci, <laughs> woman yeah. after my own heart. <laughs> um, uh,
0: coming back to the, you know, mentioning. Um, Getting into the field of research and and kind of bringing it back to kink uh, or or paraphilias. Is, is there a difference between paraphilia and kink, or is it are, is kink more of like an interest and in paraphilia more the the sort of like like obsessive uh, more more intense?
2: It's it's hard to tell and uh, there's no good way to draw uh, draw a nice sharp line. Mm. Really, all we know is just what's available to us. We have regular, everyday, healthy people enjoying whatever, you know, outlandish kind of thing that they enjoy. And they find, as my grandmother would say, there's a lid for every pot. (laughs) So out finding, you know, and have a good time, use condoms, safe words, you know, do whatever you want. Fine. Then there are other people who realize that they're into something unusual and they're bothered by it. Mm. Now, they could be interested in exactly the same things. But one is bothered by it, religious background, conservative thinking, uh, stigma, had bad experience when they tried it the first few times, who knows, So, again, technically, one would fit a technical diagnosis because he or she is feeling distress, and the other wouldn't, even though it's exactly the same thing.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Now we have the flip situation. There are people with serious problems. They're psychopathic. They don't care if what they're doing to the other person actually uh, hurts the other person. Mm. Okay, now that person is easily easily recognized as a problem and with a diagnosis that we would give... Readily, either antisocial personality disorder, is called, uh, or psychopathy is what the uh, severe feature is called, uh, uh, called. But there can be somebody else who has exactly the same desire to humiliate or bond or, or completely dominate the partner, but they're not psychopathic. They know that what they want to do co- uh, can pose potential harm, and they're very careful to do it in a way that doesn't. Mm. So now it's kind of a question. Am I... Am I diagnosing or am I predicting that somewhere in the brain is a fiber or a code about the sexual interest and I decide that's a problem or not? Or is it their ability to be empathetic and want merely to give the look of harming and humiliating the other person to you know, engage in the fantasy mm-hmm. versus the one, no, it has to be frickin' real or it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit ambiguous exactly which way we're going to draw which line. Now, of course, the kinksters themselves are very accustomed to the model with which we see homosexuality, which used to be a diagnosis, we realized that was wrong, no longer considered a disorder, and there are many kinksters who want to use exactly that model for themselves. To the extent that any sexual uh, sadism or masochism is mentioned in the uh, the official manuals, they want that removed, analogously to how homosexuality was removed. So... There is a kernel of truth to that. There is a certain stigma associated with it. But in practice, the regular, everyday, healthy, safe word kind of kingsters are not for whom the DSM was meant to give a diagnosis. Mm. The ones for whom it's meant to give a diagnosis are people who need an official label in order for, for example, sexually violent predator legislation to kick in and for people to be now uh, eligible to be removed from society and kept in an institution and, uh, and treated there. Mm. So... The des- so because the terms are similar and because the behaviors look similar, it 's a very difficult line between actually keeping society safe versus unnecessarily restricting a person's freedoms and stigmatizing a behavior that nobody actually gets hurt in right mm-hmm. so it 's a bit ambiguous, and we need to respect each of the people in each of these different situations. Unfortunately, some people have um, uh, overreact so much. That, you know, we're kind of caught between any kind of a moderate statement is automatically said, oh, no, you're part of the radical this side. Oh, no, you're part of the radical other side. When really, no, it's – I just want to draw a line between somebody's going to get hurt versus not. Mm. If you're not going to get hurt, fine. If you're going to get hurt, now the real system needs to kick in. Although I certainly recognize the stigma associated with medical-ish labels and the desire to avoid them.
0: these these two things you know so it, just for just for my own sake just to keep it like kind of clear you know if, if we're talking uh things like just standard like harmless kink versus um uh uh potentially harmful paraphilias like things that would cause distress or things that would cause um somebody else harm um is there is there science is there research being done to look into where these sorts of things come from? You know, like if someone, someone's like into the idea of, um, consensual non-consent, like rape play. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's that they're doing that with a partner who it's very, you know, it's, it's for the two of them, no one's actually getting harmed. Whereas they
2: know what they're getting into in cases of emergency. They usually have a safe word, except in very, very exceptional circumstances. And then
0: on the other hand, you have someone who is into that sort of, um, is it, that's what turns them on. That's their paraphilia. But obviously the, the other person who is not consenting, it's not okay. Is there research being done to figure out where this, um, these preferences come from or like where they start from? You know where, what I mean? Like, uh, where do kinks come from? Like, how do people figure out, like, oh, I'm into having my balls stepped on by a high heel, you know, versus...
2: I was just wondering what kind of examples would randomly uh. float into your head for <laughs> no particular reason. So you got one, okay, but really, I want to hear... Yeah, give me some keep more going, just potential yeah. examples. <laughs> I'm getting <maybe>. shrinked. <laughs> well, you know... It's, it's too bad it's, this it's, is a podcast. Nobody can see the I color know, you're I turning. Yeah.
0: Well, it, you know, it's, it, there's... You know, we've been talking to, with other people, and and so ex- for example, we had a we had a a guest on the show the other day who is she's very very heavily involved in rope play, mm-hmm. um, and she's she's basically like a professional rope artist and a rope bunny, and she tied me up, mm-hmm. and I've never been tied up in my life, and mm-hmm. she ties me up, and immediately I have this like holy shit yeah, this is fucking awesome like i love this i really love this now i have tied people before and i've i've thought that was like it's fun you know whatever but i i was not expecting it was a it was a very big surprise for me Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering like where uh, i guess i guess I'm, i'm wondering a thousand different things in my head at once it's like how do how do most people find out the kinks that they have and 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 is there a way that you can kind of like look at your past and, and, and figure out like why you like the things you like?
2: Now you can see how I've spent 20 years at this so far. <laughs> right? and I don't I expect, to, yeah, and I've just scratched the surface. <laughs> and if I'm lucky, I'll get a second scratch in the next 20. Those are exactly the root questions, and that's exactly the kind of thing that just fascinates me. Mm. Uh, the research on it is still very limited. For anybody else, students who want to explore this in a systematic way, it's wide, wide open the field. Uh, one does, however, need a thick skin to tolerate the slings and arrows that come with this mm-hmm. kind of research because it is so politically fraught and so many people have such strong opinions. Uh, different kind, every school of psychology has been applied in the attempt to understand what makes people into anything other, if they're anything other than plain vanilla cis Uh People have tried all kinds of psychological theories and people look back and they come up with, oh, this is so- associated with mother. Oh, this is something that happened to you when it was imprinted when you were in the third grade. There have been lots and lots of those theories, but none of them have ever met up with any kind of scrutiny. They're just kind of, let's look at one and let's analyze this person as if uh, he or she were a character in a novel. Mm-hmm. There, there's been very little systematic research on it. Uh the surface that we have been able to scratch has really only been in the most dramatic of the paraphilias, which is paedophilia, because it uh, uh, has the potential to co- and has caused the most harm in society. Mm-hmm. That's the one that, you know, I, as a scientist, pick to go at first. Mm-hmm. If we can tackle the mysteries of that one, the others pretty much should fall, uh, fall into place. Now... Because that's the only one, it's still uh, the only one that we've studied, it's still a bit of a mystery what of the brain differences and other differences that my team and other teams have found, which of those are specific to pedophilia and which of those are just any of the atypical uh, uh, sexualities would also Mm -hmm. have. We don't know how general these properties are yet. Or, you know, some could be specific and some could be uh, general. That's still possible too. When people, the way people figure out Their sexual interests is a perfectly natural question and exactly the backwards one. Okay. From the point of view of the person who is atypical, the thing they figure out is not what's exciting. They have to figure out that other people don't find it exciting. Mm. To them, it's so natural and so obvious, and from their point of view, they are perfectly typical. A person is always his own definition of typical. Uh Mm -hmm. And so it's only when they start hinting and the sex play and the subtle, uh, relatively subtle kinds of uh, flirting that kids go through and they realize that they're not getting the reaction that they're hoping for and expecting. Uh. So for them, it's when they realize that they're the ones who are different because other people don't have the feelings that they do. So they don't have to figure out what they're into. They're just into it. They have to figure out that they are different for what they're into, mm-hmm. and that's when the sig- stigma starts. That's when they start burying it. That's when Shame. they start. Ex- that's exactly uh, uh, where it goes. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay. The, now, this the, the concept of imprinting. Like I've heard that before, and that's I, I, so. I guess that's not something that is typically looked at in the in the medical community as like hard fact.
2: Uh, Well, not for human sexual interests. Okay. Uh, There's not been any evidence that there is a (coughs) – there hasn't been any evidence that there's an analogous uh, process in humans for something as complicated as a sexual interest. There are some people who describe experiencing something that kind of sounds like imprinting, and that kept, you know, the people, the imprinting theorists, that kept them, uh, kept them going mm. for a little while. Mm-hmm. But really what was uh, much more likely to be going on was that the first time somebody ran into whatever stimulus it is turns out to uh, correspond to what their brain is looking for, and they, they get this great big... <gasps> oh my God, it's the first big surge of adrenaline. Sometimes it's the you know first time they sense a sexual feeling at all. And so to them, it feels like it was imprinted and seeing the whatever it is. For the first time, that's what did it. But really, it's just because that's the first time they felt any sexual anything. Mm. So I understand why their description of it is what it is, but there's no evidence to suggest that it is what it seems like on the surface. Hmm.
1: I read that... Um, uh most of the research being done in this particular realm of human sexuality, the atypical stuff, what did I read? Something about, yeah, ma- majority of studies conducted on people who have committed sex crimes. Um, and I, w- I would wonder if that is the case particularly with um, pedophilia because probably, like you said, people who have that particular Atypical sexual persuasion aren't coming forward and volunteering mm-hmm. that information to scientists necessarily. So I would assume that a lot of the research is being done um, with with patients who have committed sex crimes. Is that
2: yes? That, that, that's accurate? absolutely true. Okay. Uh, now, uh, what a good scientist, of course, has to do is be very careful about to whom they're generalizing whatever particular conclusion. Uh, there are uh, when one is studying just sex offenders, so, uh, for example, somebody who is pedophilic and committed an offense against a child, uh, this is a person whose brain or whatever uh, probably has two things, two features in it, one of which is the pedophilia, and the other is the willingness to break the law. Right. And so when I'm doing those kinds of studies or when any scientist is doing those kinds of studies, you have to be very careful to see what is attributable to what And for all I know, in theory, everything one has found could be the propensity to commit a crime rather than the actual sexual interest in children. The lab that was able to tease that out uh, was in Germany. Now, Germany, specifically for pedophilia and for sex offenders. Now, Germany has a a different mandatory reporting set of regulations than we do here in Canada. Uh, Specifically, uh, in Toronto, it's uh, worded very generally – uh, a, a therapist would be required to report if they suspect that someone might be at risk of abuse. Mm. Now, of course, that immediately you know, invites the question, how much of a suspicion, including zero, and how much of a risk, including zero? And one can have a debate over what it should be and what's in society's interest, but for most therapists who do not have to deal with this kind of an issue very often – they tend to default to reporting in order to mm. avoid a potential lawsuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. If they report, they are legally protected. If they don't, they're at risk. Period. Okay. So the default usually is, to re- not always, but it's usually to reporting. In Germany, however, they still maintain strong doctor-patient confidentiality. There, one is not allowed to report unless the risk is of somebody actually being murdered. So in a situation there, somebody who uh, uh, is a pedophile either has uh, uh, has not been arrested or, for example, they are children in their house, but they don't want to talk to a therapist because they're afraid of their children being taken away, even if there's nothing inappropriate going on between them. But with doctor-patient confidentiality in place, these people can go to their therapist, even though they have no crimes, and participate in research programs. Mm -hmm. So they have been able to do a three-way design, pedophiles who have committed offenses, pedophiles who have not committed offenses... And then people who have not committed any kind of defense offense at all and were not not pedophiles. And what they were able to show essentially was that the findings that they had previously uh, been coming out with do seem to be associated with criminality. And the findings that my team were reported seem to be the ones that were associated with pedophilia itself. That seems to be the current story. Uh, however, what you're saying is exactly true. We can't, uh, when we uh, get people in from a forensic context, we have to make sure that we are considering that and only generalize to other forensic contexts. Yeah. And on the flip side, the people who are out in society with no known uh, uh, victims are still living with enormous amounts of stress, which we also know can affect uh, different parts of the brain and behavior. Yeah. We also know these people are spending their lives resisting their own sexual interests. Mm. there's some evidence to suggest that these people have even better self control than the rest of us mm. Mm. yeah
0: how it like it is how many how much um how much of a problem does that pose for someone who's who's like resisting resisting their 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 like natural human urge yeah. to to act upon their their sexual
2: needs yeah it, it's an unimaginable thing we're asking of these people. Through no fault of their own, we're telling them, you have to live celibate. Sorry, no exceptions. Mm -hmm. Zero tolerance. It's it's essentially lifetime in jail if you you don't live up to that, and you are not going to get any support from anybody to do it. Mm -hmm. It, It's crazy. And and we think somehow we're making society safer with that. It's nuts. Uh, The ones that I hear from and I've communicated with have described really a whole range... Of how they've learned to deal with it And how hard it is to deal with it It's The hardest ones and the ones my heart Really goes out to the most Are the very young ones They're the ones who have only just You know when they're 17, 18, 19 They're only just then figuring out That their crushes on 11 and 12 year olds Are going to stay on 11 and 12 year olds Uh, They're only just mm. Coming to realize it Not being able to tell anyone and a twenty-three-year-old male sex drive is a twenty-three-year-old's male sex drive. It is one of the most distracting yeah. features a human. And we no porn, mm. no erotica. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a, a a case going on in the uh, east coast of Canada right now <coughs> about whether you know a sex doll counts as child porn because it looks like a kid. Even though there I mean, is no kid, there's no victim here. I was that? just going to ask, too, about, like,
1: like, even, like, like say, graphic novels or, like, stories or, like, mm. you know, images that are drawings. So they would fall right. into the same sort of thing.
2: It's we've kind of crossed over from banning the kind of child porn, which makes perfect sense, where the photography is itself evidence of a crime being committed. Yeah. Of course, a market for that has to be eliminated. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's a victim there that we need to prevent Mm -hmm. from existing. Mm -hmm. But that's not true for drawings. You know, that's just, we feel icky. Well, I don't like banning things on icky. You know, icky Mm. to whom, icky to how. You know, again, growing up as gay, a lot of people think a lot of gay things are icky. They're allowed to think they're icky, Mm. but we don't ban it for that. Same with a chunk of latex there's no evidence to suggest that that makes a person any more a danger to anybody than not. In fact, giving the poor guy an opportunity to just take the edge off his sex drive now and then probably, or very reasonably, could be seen as something that is helping these people not actually inappropriately touch or approach anyone.
0: Where was this case with the doll?
2: Uh, Labrador.
0: No way, I haven't heard about that.
2: Uh, yes, I don't remember. The name of the case is not Coming to my mind But it's not But basically it
0: was a guy Who was using like a Like a, a toy doll or Yes
2: he uh, ordered and imported a, a, a doll which looks like a kid And you know it's very obviously A sex doll Complete with yeah. the uh, orifices And it was uh, intercepted By Canadian immigration Who deemed a child born No wow. way really?
0: So he's being He's being charged With child pornography For the use of a, a doll
2: Just the receipt
0: of Wow that, I mean that yes, like sure, it it feels like you the the way you put it, it feels icky to think about that, but but we well he, he's There's not like icky in yeah what's like that's that's totally fucked. And so, is that case over, or is it, it kind of in the middle
2: of? Uh, it's in the middle of the trial now. Wow, I'm so curious. about where that goes?
1: Because like, um. Bestiality would be another paraphilia that that is uh, um, uh, uh, causes mad, mad, has many illegal uh, or has many legal like implications. What if it was like a what if it was like a latex sheep? Well, would the thing about the bestial-
0: and I mean, speak up if I'm if I'm not talking you know the, the facts here. But the thing about bestiality is that at least in the in the Western world, there's a number of places that you can live and and be totally legally okay with with. It, you're not crossing any legal lines by having sex with a sheep, a horse, a you know donkey or whatever. Um, whereas I'm pretty sure it's across the board. Pedophiles, like that is just not. It's not an option at all. Like that. that is that. That is that the one paraphilia where it's like global. Well, not global, but like there is no uh, zero tolerance. Kind of across the board, like globally, I guess
2: uh, sure, the stigma is the strongest, naturally. Uh, people are the most uh, uh, feel the most protective over children, of course, so you know society's reaction is the strongest. I, yeah. I don't think thats a, uh, that's a particular surprise. with animals, it becomes ne- well it's now not really a scientific question, but becomes a very complicated ethics question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. all right, you can eat it, but you can't stick anything in it. Right. right now I personally am a strong animal rights advocate to me, as long as it's treated humanely, yes, you may eat it if it's treated humanely and so on, but of course sticking things in it sex with a da, 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 that's not humane treatment of the uh, of the animal mm-hmm. right so but of course, this is now not a scientific view and if a person says well I mean the laws about maltreatment are the laws about maltreatment how much maltreatment and well we could slaughter the thing is that better uh, uh." right now it's again a feeling of ickiness and our personal tolerance versus you know restricting the freedoms of other people
1: Mm. I'm curious about um, what you know about the like the psychology of um, the importance the importance Importance of engaging um, sexually consensually in the things that interest you, because it sounds like any sort of repression of your of your sexual interests can impact your probably impact your mental well being in a way in terms of like being able to express yourself in the world. So like so people who are people who have like maybe a, a milder. Uh, sexual interests, like I, I, you know, I, I want to be tied up or I want to be whipped or something. But they have so much shame about it that they don't pursue it or they don't allow themselves to. Do you? Do you ever like? Do you do any sort of studies or talking about the importance of exploring your your sexual curiosities?
2: I haven't. I don't think anybody's done exactly that kind of a study. Again, the. The scientists can only study whatever it is that's in front of us, yeah. and there are basically only two or I'll say three things in front of us that we can study. Uh, people who are in jail and in forensic systems, that's how they become known to the system, and so that's where we can stick a scientist to start you know taking measures. Uh, People who come into clinics because they're distressed or their partners are distressed or uh, whatever other reason, so they're people who are either sick or are afraid that they're sick, Yeah. you know, so we can, you know, which are completely unlike the first group, but they're still an important group to understand. Uh, And then we have just regular everyday people out in society, perfectly healthy with no reason to be identified to the system at all, but are able and willing to take an internet survey, Mm -hmm. which is fine, but... When we take an internet survey or other survey We get a survey of people Comfortable enough and extroverted enough To take the survey And then we have of course this outside group of unknown Which as mm. far as we know Are bigger than the first three groups combined mm. They're the mystery So we can only look uh, we can only, There's no joke about uh, Somebody looking for his, uh, uh, his Keys down by, the, uh, down by the Lamp and his roommate comes in and says Oh what did you drop? I'm looking for my keys Where did you drop them? Over there well, then why are you looking here? The light's better. So we can only look where the light is, but yeah. we can't pretend that, there is, that that doesn't mean that uh, that's all there is. We can get some important clues, and we have some tricks that you know can shed light on other dark areas, but we can't pretend uh, that we have any uh, any great, uh, great guarantees. Uh, so of the people who are available uh, for us to study... We found that there are some things in common that seem to be associated with whatever their atypical interest uh, is, and there are other things that are more associated with how they got to us. You know, uh, uh, demographically, for example, there's a very different uh, ethnic composition and educational composition mm. between people who are in jail versus the people who come in, you know, and can pay pay for private practice. Mm-hmm. You know, so we get... Yeah, but as long as we acknowledge that, we can see which of these are specific to the situation and which of these are general across the entire phenomenon.
1: Mm. How far behind is the study of um, sexuality in, in women? Because I feel like ooh, uh, there's a lot less uh, information out there
2: for there us. There is. I hesitate to say... I'm not even sure there's a good way to compare. Uh, Psychology, unlike many branches of science, is much more female-dominated. Sex research is, these days, and really since I've been in it, so I'll I'll say the past generation or so, has also been pretty well split, uh, 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 male-female. The questions that have come around which are relevant to men versus the ones that are relevant to women, however, those questions are different. A man... uh, Another old joke. uh, A woman needs a reason to have sex, a man just needs a place. So if there's something unusual about a man's sexual interest, he can identify it as, this is about his sexual interest, it is just about his sexual interest, at least at first, and we can hone in on that and work, work with that. Women are much more complicated than men... And sex is part of the overall relationships, expectations for the future, opportunities, general well-being, and wealth. So even though it's kind of... It is analogous to being about sex, sex is not as obvious the... It's not necessarily the point around which everything that is of concern to her is is revolving. Mm-hmm. It's often much more about uh, the relationship and the potential for a relationship, the potential for a loss of relationship... And we start calling that couples therapy and relationship therapy instead of sex therapy because mm-hmm. that's usually of greater concern to the woman. The other clue, I'll call it, is that women don't seem to get or suffer from sex disorders at the same rate that men do, especially when it's atypical sexual interests. The, my best guess, it's backed a bit by science, but I don't want to overstate it either, uh, When a fetus start, all fetuses start as female, that's well established, and then starting at the, roughly at the end of the first trimester, that's when testosterone and other things kick in, and the brain, if it's going to be male, starts to differentiate according to male, and if those things don't kick in, continues to differentiate along female lines. So, if we do nothing to the the male brain, it will be pretty indistinguishable from a female brain, and there are people with intersex disorders where exactly that happens. So it's only the male brain that has to switch from starting out in the female direction and now, sorry, ignore the... into the context, into the family, and just go for this because if you fertilize a couple of the wrong ones, no big deal. Where to the female, that is a big deal. So it seems to be that rewiring that only male brains go through. If something goes wrong during that process only males are going to show the symptoms because they're the only ones going through the process that went wrong. If the female brain doesn't go th- through the process at all, there's nothing to go wrong. They're a more stable <laughs> system. Huh. And if in men something is atypical with a, go look for this kind of a pinch sex partner, if that thing is off, that's still going to be the eight kind of sex partner they go for. But if the analogous thing happens in the female brain all of the rest of the things that she's looking for are still in place. Expectations for the future, is this going to be a good co-parent Are we and an, in an emotionally stable and secure place? Those things are still, you know, in the instincts of the woman, even though the male brain is kind of programmed to all of that is secondary if she looks hot. Right. So I think because only male brains undergo that process, they are more susceptible to these kinds of problems. If... Uh, uh, If, for example, pick a number, if uh, 10% of the males in a population are unable to reproduce optimally, so what? There's more than enough sperm to go around. Not so much for the females. Mm. If you lose 10% of the females, you lose 10% of the ability of the tribe or social group to reproduce.
1: Okay. That's a lot of information.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It did take me 20 years. Very (laughs) thorough. Very,
0: very thorough.
1: I was Uh, like, oh, I I know something. I read it. I read it on the internet. Now I know.
0: (laughs) Um, Thanks, James. Thanks for coming in and and taking some time to chat with us. My pleasure always. Always, always a fun time. Um, And thank you all so much for listening. It means a lot. We'll be back next week with another uh, super fascinating and jam packed episode. Um, in the meantime, head on over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button, and leave us a rating and review. We'd love to be on the uh, new and noteworthy, as this is uh, new for us, and we want to kind of spread our seed as far and wide as we can. <laughs> um, typical male. Uh, and you got something to add there, baby?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say, if you're listening to this and you're, you keep coming up the, oh, I wish they would ask these questions questions to people then fire those off to us as well because i'm really curious about about what we're what we're missing
0: yeah hell yeah reach us uh reach out to us on facebook uh instagram twitter or you can email us at termionpodcasts at gmail.com uh that is it for this week until next week